What is good, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero alongside Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Not a whole lot. Just middle of the week, waiting on Sunday. Oh, the season starts this week, right? Look, we <laughs> all much. knew we were facing a couple of tomato cans in weeks one and two. Now we're getting into the real meat of the schedule. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please, if you haven't done it already, subscribe, follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. You'll get our long-form shows. you get our daily updates. I promise you it is going to be worth your while. If you're new to this show, this is where you get the hot takes, mostly from me, and the cold truth, mostly from the human wet blanket, Levin Black. I actually have good news for you, Levin, because I know you've been very upset, very upset with the NFL and the NFL Game Pass this season, which has basically been a giant waste of money for the first two weeks. I am looking at an article right now on Pro Football Talk that says... The All-22 film is set to return to Game Pass on Friday of this week. So tomorrow, the All-22 should be there, which I know is very important to you. A couple things. One, the All-22 has been available to people overseas. All season. All preseason. It is a deliberate thing that they decided they wanted to try to get away with. They basically tried to said, well, let's see if we can get away with not providing it to the you know U.S. media who are going to actually break it down and share a bunch of stuff. And there was enough uproar. And I was trying to get a refund. I literally have been considering trying to see if I can do a class action lawsuit because they literally promised it for the regular season and then didn't provide it. Like, that's false advertising. Anyways, the other part of that is <laughs> uh, I'll believe it when I see it mm-hmm. because, uh, let's see, three weeks ago, Pro Football Talk had an article saying NFL says it will be back for the regular season. And then the regular season came and it didn't come. And a week ago, they had an article saying should be back by end of week one, early week two. Or sorry, end of week two, early week three. So they keep changing the date. Well, see, I tried to provide some good (laughs) news. And what happened? You pooped all over it. So you're living up to your billing here already. Uh, I provided the realism of the NFL is a, a crock of when it comes to coaches film. Yeah, that's pretty much true. Not going to lie. Uh, got a lot to do on today's show. We are going to obviously preview Green Bay with uh, Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, your, your old friend who is gracious enough to give us a few minutes. So we'll break down that, what we expect to see. But before we get to that, Levin, There was a couple of press conferences today. Kyle Shanahan said a couple of things I thought were interesting. And I saw that you had a Twitter thread on Brandon Ayuk. The Brandon Ayuk saga has like, (laughs) other than quarterback, it has taken over. Um, Let's start with that because I could tell you're fired up about it. The prevailing thought was that somehow Brandon Ayuk got in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. And so Kyle was basically going away from Ayuk in the offense. You have been looking at the film. I don't know. Would you get like black market game film? I don't know. Did you like travel overseas? I don't know how you acquired this delicacy, <laughs> but you found it. Uh, what have you seen when watching Ayuk? Uh, it is very much black market. Uh, somebody has shared a link where it's available from somebody who's overseas and putting it out there for American-based people. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to share names because I don't want them to get in trouble. But... Uh, yeah, so I watched the film, and I specifically watched every single pass play and watched for Ayuk to be in and what he ran and whether he got open. And as the thread shows, he did get open. Uh, I think I provided five plays. There were a few others that he could have had the ball thrown to him that would have been you know, a, li- a little more sketchy, would have had to have been like perfect timing type situations, certainly doable. But it shows that he was getting open consistently because he really didn't run that many routes. He was very much a decoy in some routes. Like, literally, he just ran straight out and cleared cleared space. But a lot of the pass plays, and this is the part that kind of surprised me, were literally Kyle calling a pass play where there was only one possibility for the ball. Because every single other receiver, whether it was Kittle at tight end, uh, Juice coming as the fullback, the running back, didn't matter – Literally everybody but that one player at the snap were running to their nearest defender and after two seconds engaging blocking. 
Like they didn't even turn to look to see if they were going to get the ball. <laughs> they weren't running a route. They were literally going to block. And I'm not just talking screens. There was obviously the screen to Juice, the screen to Debo. Both like those cro- were, you're saying like crossing right. routes where the other guys were set up to block. Right. There were crossing routes. There were literally like short slants where that was the only guy actually running around. Everybody else was already going to start blocking. There was, uh, I think, one to Debo, one to Jennings. Uh, Hasty had one uh, where he came out of the backfield. Like I think he actually motioned up to the line. Uh, and then ran across. And that, to me, is the biggest telling part. Of the people who had plays called specifically for them to get the ball, whether it was the screens or the plays I just described, you had Kittle, Debo, Jennings, uh, Juice, and Hasty all had one specifically called just so they could get the ball in their hands and get going. Ayuk didn't. That, to me, is telling that Shanahan doesn't care to get the ball in his hands, which is asinine to me because we know from last year he's one of the best with the ball in his hands. He was literally one of the yak bros, as we started calling it, Debo and Kittle and him. And Kyle has made no effort whatsoever to get the ball in his hands and is literally calling schemes to where he's not even part of the progressions. And that was also something that stood out to me. It was There were a lot of plays where Kittle or where Ayuk is running uh, a route on the left side and Jimmy never looks past the right side. Literally, there's three or four other receivers all on in the middle or to the right, and that's all Jimmy looks at, never even looks at Ayuk. Ayuk's like not even part of the play. So that's interesting because what you're telling me is Kyle's drawing up plays specifically so that essentially a rookie in Juwan Jennings can get the ball in his hands, a fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, and a backup running back, essentially, you know, like third, fourth string running back, Jermichael Acey can get the ball in his hands. That... You're right. Like there's no, he can do those plays for Ayuk if he wants to, and he has chosen not to for whatever reason. I did see something from Grant Cohn today where he kind of pointed to a couple plays with Ayuk and said, look, Ayuk is open, but he's open on a deep, a deep comeback route or a route outside the hashes. And he brought up the idea that maybe Jimmy is like, look, in his head, he's like, if I start throwing interceptions, they're going to bench me and bring in Trey Lance. I need to stick to what I'm good at. I need to stick to the safe throws. Just get the ball in somebody else's hands and let them go to work and let them make me look good. Do you think it's possible that maybe Kyle isn't necessarily trying to exclude Ayuk from some of these plays, but that Jimmy is really, you know, he's he's concerned about the turnovers. And so if it's a risky throw at all, Jimmy's going away from it. Yes, but with an asterisk. I do think that's possible, but let me explain the second part of it. Uh, obviously, something happened because Ayuk didn't start the first game. So something happened. I agree. You can't just say it's it's just, you know, because of Jimmy. Um, but I did, and I said this in the thread at the end, I wonder if it's Kyle basically calling plays to where Jimmy doesn't get to even look at routes that are his issues. Comebacks and out routes and things like that are his issues. They're right past yes. the hashes like you mentioned. But what I noticed was Ayuk was running routes on the left side of the field pretty much exclusively. I think he had two routes on the on the right side of the field. Um, I'm going off memory on that. Um, and Jimmy was almost every single pass play getting the ball, and he would look middle or right. His progressions, whether he was going one, two, three, even sometimes getting to his fourth progression on the scrambles, where he never even looked to the left side of the field. Like, not even going there. And I wonder if that, for him, that would be thrown across his body. It is harder for a quarterback who's right-handed to throw to the hashes on the left side of the field than the right. So I wonder if Kyle has eliminated the left side of the field in the type of routes that Ike is going to run, because Ike is going to run the deeper routes most of the time. So I do think that that is a possibility, that that is the limitation. The question I would have is, if you're having to eliminate half the field because your quarterback is so limited, what the hell is he doing in there? <laughs> well, that's a whole other issue. So if you're the Packers, then you have Jair Alexander, who's one of the best cornerbacks in the entire league. Do you put him on Debo and say, they're not going to Ayuk. Why are we going to waste Jair Alexander on him? Yeah, I would shadow Debo because at this point, Debo has been the game plan. Debo is, uh, I think he's accounted for 37, almost 38% of all yep. targets in the passing game. <laughs> And in terms of yards, he's accounted for, I believe, more than 50% 
of the actual yards. It's right around that 50%. I can't remember if he's just below or just above. He's basically the offense at this point. When the Niners have moved the ball, it's because Debo's had a big play. Because the run game hasn't been there, and Kittle hasn't really been a whole lot of the game plan. Like, Kittle has not had a deep pass yet. I don't even think he's had a target past 10 yards down the field this year. Maybe one or two Yeah, in two games. I mean, it's crazy. Um, Which also gets back to, I think Kyle is, to a certain extent, limiting Jimmy's uh, deficiencies because a lot of Jimmy's issues are when he gets pressured, he panics, he doesn't want to take the hit. He gets the happy feet, he makes a bad throw, gets picked. A lot of the passes this year have been one, two, ball is out. And that, once again, eliminates the possibility for Jimmy to go, oh, crap, and move around (laughs) and then just throw a duck. Which is what, like I said, a lot of his turnovers have been when he's getting pressured, he panics. That is a deficiency of Jimmy that's undeniable. And it seems like in that regard, Kyle is coaching away from that being a possibility. I do want to say, I don't know if Jimmy's afraid of taking the hit. I don't know if he's afraid of getting hit. He definitely has in the past. You could see the happy feet. You could literally see it. On the broadcast, it's not even like something you have to watch the film to see. It's that obvious. But this year, I want to give him credit. He has done a much, much better job of using his legs to scramble away and make plays. Whether it was at the end of that Detroit game where they desperately needed a first down and Hasty misses his block and Jimmy rolls right and finds Debo, hits him and Debo eventually fumbles. That's not Jimmy's fault, but but he extended the play to do that even against Philadelphia a couple times. I mean, he had 11 rushing attempts in that game. That's a career high for him. I know four of them were quarterback sneaks, but that still leaves the other seven. He has been better with his legs this year, and maybe that's the product of Trey Lance. Maybe he's like, well, screw it. (laughs) If I don't do this, they're going to take me out anyway. So, you know, and he's another year removed from the ACL. But I do want to give him credit for that because it's been better. Yeah, and, and I mentioned that in our instant reacts, I believe, this past week uh, with Javi, that uh, it seems like Jimmy has a little bit more urgency this year, and it, it, that might be the fact that he knows there's a guy behind him that if he does something, which we have not seen this yet, I have been watching for it, I have not seen it, uh, where Jimmy makes a throw or misses a read, and Kyle l- literally gives a massive grimace or is visibly pissed on the sideline over the Kyle freak out. <laughs> right. We have not seen that yet this year, um, which they don't show him after every play. But Jimmy has been very good this year. He has been, to me, basically a solid B. I think some people are making a little bit of a bigger deal about the missed throws. You know, he had a couple of missed throws this past week. Every quarterback misses throws. You know, I was actually thinking about that later on on Sunday when the Chiefs played on Sunday night. Mahomes literally missed. Uh, one of his receivers streaking wide open because he overthrew him by five yards. Should have been a long touchdown. And yeah, instead, but Mahomes Jimmy the throw. never hits those. That's the difference. Jimmy rarely attempts them. That's the difference. Well, that's <laughs> he even rarely worse. Attempt, right, he rarely attempts the risky deep throw, whereas Mahomes does it all the time, so you forget about the few that he missed. But I, I do think if he missed a couple throws in a game, that's not huge. That is every single game for every single quarterback. It's Agreed. pretty rare that a quarterback doesn't miss one or two throws in a game. And he missed a couple. Uh, but that said, he has not been great. He has been, to me, a solid B. He has been much more mobile, which we've talked about. He has been very accurate, I think, for the most part. He has the every once in a while, just like, where the heck did that come from? But overall, I mean, you can't argue with the results. He's been highly efficient he's just also shown his limitations to a certain degree because he's not doing a whole lot spinning it towards this week um obviously the 49ers have had incredible success against the Packers running the ball Raheem Mostert just destroyed them in the NFC championship game in a way that I haven't seen a running back like take over a game in a long long time obviously Mostert's not going to play Elijah Mitchell has worse than a stinger, Kyle Shanahan said yesterday, but he still has a shot to play. Trey Sermon still has a shot to play, which really weirds me out because that looked like a really bad hit and a bad He, he was cleared. He has now been cleared from concussion protocol, so I, I think it's likely at this point that he plays. So maybe maybe Sermon will get the carries. Um, 
the Niners just signed Jacquez Patrick off the Bengals practice squad. And this was what I thought was interesting. He's like 6'3", 230, 235. That's a massive running back. I think it's the biggest right. running back Kyle's ever had with the 49ers. And Kyle said yesterday, basically, because he was asked about, like, does Patrick have the speed to run the outside zone? And Kyle's response was interesting. He said... I think Raheem changed up a lot of stuff, you know. So when you when you have Raheem and his speed, which is different than everyone's, um, we get used to having that, and you start to design stuff for that, which I don't think many people in the world can do. Um, but we've never been, we've never said we have to have guys who run four threes. Um, it's really never been like that. If you look at the history of some of our runners and stuff, it's just kind of morphed into that recently. Um, but we just look for who we thought the best runner would be, um, and they come in all different shapes and sizes. Kyle's point there basically was like you know, we can do other stuff with other running backs. So I'm wondering if maybe they go to more of an inside running game against Green Bay, bring in the bigger guy in Jaquez Patrick and sort of pound, you know, ground and pound a little bit. I mean, if he's willing to do that, why did he cut Gallman? That's Gallman's bread and butter. He's a good in between the tackle. He's a little bit bigger of a running back, thicker. I should say he's not, you know, he's not tall. He's not 6'3", but he's thicker. And he's highly efficient. I, I saw, uh, <clears throat> sorry, somebody tweeted out talking about, uh, it might have been actually Lombardi tweeted out, you know, this is how good and how much they've lost with Mostert out. And it was like the uh, yards above or below expected based yeah. on how the blocking went and all that. And Mostert was 10th. He was like, you know, they lost the top 10 run back. Guess who was fifth on that list for last year? Wayne Goleman, who they cut. And Mitchell, actually, Elijah Mitchell is way down on that list. He actually has he negative is, yeah. yards uh, per expected, which is something that. Uh, I think Kyle was actually asked about yesterday and gave Mitchell praise, which isn't shocking because Kyle, you know. If you're a running back, you're getting praise. Um, But that was something Mayoko said, too, that basically he thinks that Mitchell is leaving yards out on the field, uh, that things are actually kind of set up for him to to be even better than he's been. And I I was like, up to this point, I thought Mitchell was pretty good. Uh, So it'll be interesting. If Sermon can go, this could be the game for him, Levin, where he really, if he was in the doghouse or whatever, like this is his chance to check out because you've got a soft Packers team, a soft Packers front. Uh, you know Kyle's going to want to run the ball. There's really no one else like that's going to take your carries from you. This could be the breakout game for Trey Sermon. Yes, and it could also be a breakout game for somebody else, and I'm going to throw this out there. It's just a theory, but with all the running backs that are hurt, and how bad the run game was last week, which the run game was not efficient at all last last week. If the run game is struggling again this week, considering you don't have your normal running backs there, do they play Trey Lance a little bit more to get the run game going to open up the pass game? Like I could see that. If the offense is moving because the pass game is so effective anyways, which is certainly possible. You know, the Packers are not a good pass defense. I think they're 29th right now in passing yards allowed or something like that. Uh, and they're giving up a super high percentage of pass completions. Um, but if the run game is not working and due to that, the Packers are able to play against the pass a little bit more. So the offense overall is kind of sputtering like we saw this past week in the first half. I could see Trey Lance getting inserted and legitimately playing some drives in order to get the run game going using some of the read options to springboard to the rest. And that doesn't mean Jimmy gets replaced. I think, it, it wouldn't be a full swap. It would just be get Trey Lance in there, run some gimmick plays, open things up, make the outside a little bit more of a danger, which I think is going to be the issue is, you know, you, you got Sermon and uh, you don't have Hasty, You don't have M- Mitchell's iffy and you don't have Mostert. You lost a lot of your speed guys. You lost a lot of your shifty guys. You have more of your power guys. So they're going to be running a little bit more inside. Whereas if you put in Trey Lance, you can kind of open up the outside a little bit. And I just want to say to all these people that keep an Albert Breer, I'm talking to you because I heard you say it this week. And he's not the only one. Chris Sims said it. Well, you, you don't want to put Trey Lance. You couldn't put Trey Lance in there in Philadelphia. It was a road. It was a crazy environment. The Eagles have a good defensive line. Yet no sh- Like this just in. 
Your quarterback's going to play against teams with good defensive lines. He's going to play in rough environments. You drafted a guy that plays in a division with the Seattle Seahawks, one of the toughest <laughs> environments in the entire league. The idea that you you know that he's got to be comfortable all the time. Playing quarterback in the NFL is all about what you do when you're in- uncomfortable. The entire defense and the entire defensive staff spends every waking hour of an entire week drawing up ways to make you feel uncomfortable. That's where you live. So the idea that you can't put Trey Lance in because he's not going to be comfortable is just ridiculous. And I'm sorry, I'm tired of hearing people say it. It doesn't make sense. Some people think that football players are babies. You know, they think you got to keep kids gloves on them until they grow up and they only grow up if you let them do things. I mean, the analogy is the same. You know, when, you, when you're raising kids, you know, your babies, your, your toddlers, they don't learn unless they're doing. If you're constantly protecting them and not allowing them to take risks and learn from those risks, you know, a kid falls down, bangs his head on something. They learn, maybe I should be more careful and not <laughs> fall down and bang my head. It's the same thing with quarterbacks. You've got to let them play and they got to learn. And they're either going to succeed in that or they're not an NFL quarterback. And this is the frustrating thing for me. The 49ers are acting like, or people are acting like, the 49ers can avoid the growing pains that are going to come with an NFL with a rookie quarterback. And you're just not. You're never going to avoid those growing pains. If Trey Lance sits the whole year, when he still plays next year, he's going to have those. They are inevitable. Patrick Mahomes had growing pains. I know he came in and threw 50 touchdowns. Here's the difference. Yes, you have growing pains, but the hope is that you've also drafted a player that is so talented that along with those growing pains, you get the spectacular plays. And that's what they saw with Mahomes. If you go back and watch, I guarantee you he's going to have dumb interceptions, incompletions, misreads, all that stuff. But he also threw 50 freaking touchdown passes. And that's what people like me that want Trey Lance to get in the game, that's what we're talking about. Because, yeah, we know he's going to make some bonehead plays, but we also think he's going to make up for it with plays like the 80-yard touchdown that we saw to Trent Sherfield against the Chiefs in the preseason. Can we just stop with the comparison to Patrick Mahomes? You're talking about a freaking unicorn. That's what you're trying to compare him to. Patrick Mahomes and his trajectory and the way his career went aligns with literally nobody else in NFL history. (laughs) Dan Marino's pretty close. Not really. Dan Marino didn't sit. Yes, Dan Marino succeeded uh, right away. I think it was his second season that he made the Super Bowl and then never made it back. But he had growing pains. I mean, he threw a lot of interceptions that year. He also threw the NFL record that stood until Peyton Manning got it of 48 touchdowns in that second year. But the point remains, Patrick Mahomes is unique. He makes weird throws and nobody else really makes, you know, he, he, he's an athletic freak, even though he's not Lamar Jackson athletic freak. There's different types of athleticism. And when it comes to the arm elasticity, if you want to call it that, Patrick Mahomes is a unicorn and he's way advanced mentally from what you would think. And he also got paired with arguably the best offensive mind in the NFL. It's between him and Shanahan. That's a good point. The, the comparison to the two situations is not exactly – it's not the same. Um but I just I hate when people say that Lance, you know, he's got to get in in the perfect situation. It's a, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous argument. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Let me say this. In terms of the coaching, you know, a lot of people do make that comparison that, oh, well, you know, Mahomes had Andy Reid, great offensive mind. Lance has Kyle Shanahan, great offensive mind. The difference is Andy Reid is a true West Coast offense, which is the most quarterback friendly offense in NFL history. Whereas Kyle Shanahan, yes, quarterbacks can put up big numbers in it, but it is not a quarterback-friendly system. It is a highly complicated system that takes a long time to learn and a long time to grasp. And you literally had an NFL MVP say that in Matt Ryan. It's not quite the same equation here because the offenses are on a different scale of uh, complicated. Complexity. Sure. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, what what is I'm going to ignore you right now. What is Kansas City's offense? It is, we have an all-world quarterback, and we got track stars. It's literally very reminiscent of a backyard football, which makes it easy for the quarterback. It is, hike the ball and see who gets open and throw it deep, because they're all going to outrun everybody. I mean, you saw, what, what did what did uh, Mahomes throw this past week? 
a I think it was a, a short crosser and Kelsey turned it into what an almost 60 yard touchdown. What's the freaking tight end doing it? That was awesome. It's <laughs> like, really freaking good, man. I, I don't know if like he's getting tired of hearing people talk about how good Kittle is after the catch, but my God, that was awesome. Um, but yeah, so we'll see what happens with Lance this week. I, I hope he plays again. Everybody knows where I stand on this. I hope he plays. Uh, but we'll see. Hopefully the 49ers uh, can get things done against Green Bay. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk with Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press Gazette about that Packers game, uh, what he thinks Green Bay is going to do, where the 49ers might be able to attack, and uh, whether Aaron Rodgers is going to look more like the Aaron Rodgers we saw in the second half of the game against Detroit or the Aaron Rodgers we saw in week one against the Saints. Back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, now it's time for a little week three preview. We're not going to do it by ourselves. We're going to welcome in Ryan Wood from the Green Bay Press-Gazette. What's up, Ryan? Hey, what's going on, guys? Not too much. Let me just tell you, I am super excited about this game because we've got the regular or somewhat regular 49ers squad out there. We've got fans in the stands. I have said since the schedule came out, once I saw that this was going to be the home opener, that this is going to be maybe the roughest environment the Packers have to play in all year. I think they're coming into a buzzsaw. I think it's going to be wild at Levi's. Well, it's really the road opener, too, for this team. It's the first time they're in a tr- the Packers are in a true road setting since before the pandemic because, obviously, it was supposed to be the opener for them in New Orleans, but that game got relocated because of Hurricane Ida to Jacksonville, where there were a lot of Packers fans, and it really, in no way, shape, or form, resembled a, a road game. So this is, you know, Aaron Rodgers talked about it today. This is going to be the the first true road test, and uh, Hornets Nest is a good way to put it. I, mean, I, I think, you know, since the middle of camp, this team has been focused on, on, on perfecting the, the silent snap count, really working on that. They're going to need it this week. There's no question about that. So talking more about that week one game, do you think that's more of a one-off, just some rust because Rodgers wasn't around, some distractions, or do you think there's real issues there? I think it's too early to know yet. It was such an anomaly, and it came from out of absolute nowhere, that it's it was, it's really hard to know what to make of that without a larger sample size. And obviously they, they responded, and they went out and played one really – kind of shoddy half of football against the Lions on Monday Night Football, and then one half of football where they treated them like the Detroit Lions and they were the Green Bay Packers, and that's what you do. So that didn't really help. I mean, at the end of the day, they, they slapped the Lions around 35-17, which is what you would expect them to do, but it took a while to get there. I think this is going to be a really interesting litmus test for the Packers on Sunday Night Football week three. It's kind of it's, – it's a different type of year that it's taken a, a third week to really kind of maybe potentially get a feel for what this team is and, and, and who they are right now. But it was such an anomaly week one, 38-3, and then it was so up and down against the Lions that, you know, you, you can – if you're a Packers fan, you could point to either side of, of, of that line. I mean, it's either time to freak out and there's, there's a lot of issues or – they didn't play any preseason. They went out to Jacksonville without playing any preseason, no conditioning, no game speed against the Saints team that did play preseason, and they just wilted in that Jacksonville heat and humidity. The defense was gassed after really the first quarter. They spent 11 minutes on the field in that first quarter and just got completely gassed by the early second quarter. And then they came out of it, and they, you know, three halves in, into the season, the, the, the game speed that they didn't get from the preseason kind of clicked in and – and all of a sudden, here they are. They're back, and, and they're 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 in their rhythm. So we'll find out Sunday night. It's going to be very fascinating to see. You know, Aaron Rodgers after that Lions game made it a point in the post game press conference to say, "Well, we got all the trolls off of our back now." I got news for you, Ryan. If the 49ers kick their teeth in on Week Three, the trolls are going to be pounding at the door again, aren't they? He said that after the game, Devontae Adams said something today, and it was, it was a question about Marquez Valdez-Scantling and the lack of production. Because a big training camp story here was MVS maybe taking that next step, and he's had like, I don't know, like 20 yards of, in, in two games. It just hasn't been there. And he, Devontae Adams was asked specifically about that, but really kind of took it as a blanket statement, said that he's never been a part of a season where there's such freak out going into week three. And when you think about it, this is a completely different season than Devontae Adams or even Aaron Rodgers has 
ever been a part of. It, it's it's unique because it's the hyperbolic last dance. It's the pressure of being all in. Super Bowl or bust. 2022 is is absolutely not guaranteed for this team in terms of contention. And so when you put yourself in that pressure cooker of a season where you know this might be it, like, and you compare yourself to the 1998 Bulls, which this team absolutely is not because Aaron Rodgers ain't Michael Jordan, Devontae Adams ain't Scottie Pippen. Uh, but when you put yourself in that pressure cooker, every week is magnified. Every week is amplified. And this is not going away. Every the, the, You're right. The trolls are going to absolutely be back if they go to San Francisco and get their teeth kicked in. That's going to be there. If they go and win, it probably will be magnified the other way as something more than a week three win. That's just the nature of what this season is when they're all in. And it's it's going to be this way all the way through. Now let's talk defensively for the Packers a little bit because that defense hasn't been very good this year. They're giving up 72% completion percentage. They're giving up almost five yards of carry. How bad is the defense? Are they truly one of the worst in the league or you think they're going to end up improving and getting more to the middle of the pack like they were last year? Short sample size alert, right? But how about six times they've allowed an opposing offense into the red zone this season and six touchdowns they've given up? not not ideal that's not winning football look it's it's a it's a potentially very big problem because Matt LaFleur made a decision to uh, to not extend Mike Pettin he let Mike Pettin last year play out his final year of his contract as a defensive coordinator let him go to be a special assistant in Chicago and this Packers defense ended up being number ninth in yards they were a top 10 defense for the first time since 2010 the first time in a decade the first time since they won the super bowl and the the whole point of hiring joe barry a guy who had been a veteran now we'll get to that experience in a minute but he, he he'd actually been a coordinator in this league the whole idea was to take this defense from number nine to top five take that next step take the leap in this season and, and you got to remember when they hired Joe Barry as defense coordinator, they knew that this could be a last dance type season. They, 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 they knew there were issues with Aaron Rodgers then. So they wanted someone with experience that could take that next leap. They hired a defensive coordinator who, yeah, he, he's been a defense coordinator four previous seasons in his career, two in Washington, two in Detroit, and all four had produced bottom five defenses in yards. Four for four. And so when you then have that in, in Joe Barry's introductory press conference he acknowledged it i mean you can't hide from the resume he acknowledged that there's scars so when you've got a defensive coordinator with scars and you come in and all of a sudden that's your your you give up 38 points in the opener and then for a half the first four lions possessions it's two touchdowns and a field goal and you're six for six allowing touchdowns inside the red zone uh, that's it's hard not to freak out about that and so small sample size but the early returns have been really, really poor. The Packers have one of my favorite stats. If you look at the Packers box score for this season, no one has a sack. But the Packers as a team actually do have a sack because of this weird rule where Jared Goff loses the ball. And because he's not making an effort to to do anything but get the ball back, the t- Packers team gets credited with a sack, but they don't give it to any one individual player. If they can't get any kind of pass rush on Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm trying not to be a homer here, but how are the Packers going to stop the 49ers when we've seen the 49ers tear this team up before? Well, the other question is how are they going to get a pass rush on Jimmy Garoppolo because they don't have Zadarius Smith. And you look at this defensive front without Zadarius Smith, who's on his second game on IR with, with a back injury that he's had since the beginning of camp, inexplicably played week one which was really just surprised he didn't even practice the friday of before week one they throw him out there for 18 snaps and surprise he's back out on 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 ir the next day i I don't know where the pass rush comes from kenny clark is a very fine defensive lineman but he's more of a run defender and and at times a very dominant run defender uh and has never been a a a major pass aaron donald he is not he's not a guy that's going to wreck a game from a pass rush on the interior They've got Preston Smith, who took a pay cut last year specifically because he did not have enough pass rush. They have Rashawn Gary, 12th overall pick a couple years ago, who has just not consistently so, shown that that th- those pitches and, and, and build it into something more. And that's basically it for your defensive front. As far as guys that can get home, 
that's it. So I, I don't know where the pass rush is coming from. It's not a coincidence that this team has no individual sacks in two games. Uh, it's, it's a problem. And, and the biggest problem for this team is back injuries are tricky and they made the decision to go ahead, uh, probably a week too late to go ahead and shut down Zadarius Smith for a minimum of three weeks with the idea that you let him rest and, and come back fully strong and he's not limited. Uh, but that's a minimum. Three weeks is a, it could be more than that. And until Zadarius Smith is back, I mean, that's their guy. It, it's going to be tough to get past Rush. So offensively, obviously it's Aaron Rodgers is, you know, the main part for Green Bay, but there's Aaron Jones there too. And the Niners have actually been really good against the pass in the last three years, including this year. They're, they're once again uh, up there against the pass, but running this year, Teams have been able to run against them. They're, they're actually giving up more yards per carry than the Packers have so far. Could you see LaFleur kind of taking a page out of Shanahan's playbook and running Aaron Jones until the Niners show they can stop it? Well, if not, for no other reason, then the Niners are going to probably go out in the same two-shell defense that the Saints did and that the Lions did on Monday night because when you've got Devontae Adams, you're not going one high. You're, you're protecting against the big plague as Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. That's been the blueprint. I don't expect the Niners to deviate from that. So the opposing defenses are going to be in that look until you run the football, prove you can run the football. So, yeah, it's it's going to be that that stalemate again. Can the Packers run the ball? In a lot of ways, you know, it, it's really remarkable on an offense that has the reigning MVP and has the reigning best receiver in football that Aaron Jones is the engine that makes everything go. When, when this Packers offense is at its best, it's when Aaron Jones, as even a pass catcher, but just getting him the ball touches when he's at his best. And four touchdowns against the Lions uh, did next to nothing. I think he had seven touches for 22 yards against the Saints. The difference in the two offensive performances as a team was Aaron Jones. So, yeah, they've got to get him going. Uh, but it's 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 going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how long the Niners can stick in that two shell look, and if the the Packers can frankly run them out of it with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon behind them. One thing I've got my eye on, and that is the practice report for the Packers, because we know Bakhtiari is already out, and now I'm looking and I'm seeing that Elton Jenkins has an ankle injury. Are you telling me the Packers are going to be down to their third string tackle against Nick Bosa? Because I'll take that. Might be, might be. You know, Elton Jenkins is a wonder. Uh, he, he can play all five positions at a, at a high level. You just don't see guys like that in this league. And so it's a big deal if he's not able to go. Matt LaFleur said today that Elton Jenkins, who did not practice with an ankle injury, uh, is going to get the week and they'll see if he's able to go. It was not, it was not very optimistic. It wasn't overly pessimistic. It was kind of a throw your hands in the air and we don't know yet. So that's something obviously watched during the week. My guess, and, and Matt LaFleur, naturally, he, he wasn't saying what the, the, the contingency plan would be. My guess, though, is that they would put Billy Turner, the right tackle, that left tackle, who, look, Billy Turner played a pretty solid left tackle against every team not named the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. There were times when, when he had to be on, on, on the field at left tackle. He play, played a handful of games there, and, and he was pretty surplus. I mean, the, the Bucks kind of ate him up, but the Bucks ate up the entire Packers offensive line last year. So if it wasn't the Bucks, Billy Turner was serviceable at left tackle. My guess is that you didn't put Dennis Kelly, who they picked up late in camp, as kind of a veteran depth guy for, for right tackle purposes. He'd slide over and be, get the start at right tackle. So it's not the worst for, for being down to a third string left tackle and, and a second string right tackle. It's not, it's not as bad as it could be. It is still a third string left tackle and a right a second string right tackle. It, it's not it's not your best. It's not what you want. Now we've talked in the past about how Rodgers has struggled going back to San Francisco, you know, a place close to where he grew up. Let me bring that back up because last year he got the win. It was a convincing win, if you want to count it, considering the Niners, you know, were <laughs> backup quarterback, fourth string running back, sixth string receiver was featured, and uh, no Kittle. You know, all that goes into it, but. He did get a win last year. Do you, do you think that there's a mental block there? Because you kind of hinted at that in the past, that you feel like he, he kind of does have a mental block when he goes back to San Francisco. It counts with an asterisk, right? I mean, it, it was <laughs> it was a win, but you got to bring up all the uh, the things that were different about that game. Look, yeah, I, mean, I, th I think 
you know, he's also got kind of this thing with Florida too that we saw in the opener. He, the, the one bad game that he had all of of twenty twenty in the regular season was down at Tampa Bay, where he had two picks, a pick six, and it was you know it, it's it's the Florida thing. This year he goes down to Jacksonville. He has two picks. Uh, after the game, he said. There are no coincidences in life, so maybe the fact he has a losing record in Florida, maybe there's something to that. Uh, maybe the fact that he's, you know, had had his issues in San Francisco, maybe it's not a coincidence. Uh, I don't know that beating a junior varsity 49ers team is going to really <laughs> do all that much in one way or the other in terms of moving that needle. Last one for me. And I say this as someone who's been critical of what the team has done with Trey Lance. Just scale of one to ten. What? How much do you think the four are the Packers are preparing for Trey Lance? Do you think it's like on their radar at all, or do you think it's more kind of like, eh, if he's in there, we'll deal with it? Oh, I don't think there's any question that they're they're, they're preparing for him. I don't know how much, but. They, they had a very similar situation week one against the Saints. I mean, they, they knew Jameis Winston was going to be the starter, but obviously Taysom Hill has, a, has a, a role in that offense, and part of that role is coming in at quarterback occasionally, and they had to prepare for him too. So uh, it's not new to them preparing for, for two quarterbacks potentially. Um, and so, I, you know, they, they obviously know Jimmy Garoppolo pretty well. Uh, that, that should help, you know, and they know this offense with Jimmy Garoppolo pretty well. They, they faced it recently. I, I would imagine there's there's a, a healthy amount of attention being paid to Trey Lance just as a contingency. All right, Wood. And sorry, I call you Wood there. You probably probably prefer the more professional Ryan, but I've known you as Wood for like 15 years now. <laughs> oh, so. man. Levin and Wood. We, we go way back. I, it, it'd be weird if you called me Ryan. I wouldn't even know who you're talking to. <laughs> so let me end this with a uh, personal question for you. I saw on Twitter that you're excited to get some oysters when you get out to San Francisco this weekend. Where does San Francisco rank in terms of road games? Because you've been almost all over, you know, between being down south when you covered college to now the NFL being, you know, in the NFL for what, almost a a decade now, I think. So where does San Francisco rank in terms of places to get to go? Yeah, you know, I've been to every NFL stadium except for maybe three. I haven't been to SoFi. That's new, obviously. I, I haven't been to Houston, Cincinnati, Oh, there's there's one more on that list that I'm spacing on right now. But, you know, San Francisco, it's not in my top three. My top three, for all very, very different reasons, because they're very different cities, is New York, D.C., and Seattle. Seattle's my favorite. Sorry, Niners fans. Sorry. <laughs> I, my my brother lives in Seattle. I, I, you know, that, all right, that thanks for coming on, Ryan. We appreciate it. <laughs> San Francisco would be the second tier right below that. I'll tell you this, though. I love my bridge, man. Uh, that, that that scene when you're looking out over the bridge and there's Alcatraz on your left and the bay to the right, it is one of the most breathtaking scenes that I've seen. I mean, it's it's really phenomenal. So and the wharf is obviously great. So I would I'd probably put it top five. Seattle's got a a, a slight yeah. I'm, I'm I'm kind of I'm a sucker for the music out of Seattle. My brother lives there. Uh, I've got some reasons for that, but. You know, uh, San Francisco is definitely up there. It's it's probably top five. Yeah, I look, I've vacationed in Seattle. I'm actually a Mariners fan, believe it or not. <laughs> Seattle's an awesome city. I just hate their football team with a white hot passion. That's, you know, I can separate. I'm not I'm not talking up the Seahawks here. OK, it's not I'm not saying that I love the Seahawks and I hate the 49ers. There's nothing about that. I love that. I, again, I love that. Love that bridge in San Francisco. But Seattle's got its perks, too. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. You can follow him on Twitter, at ByRyanWood. We appreciate a few minutes. Absolutely. Take care, guys. All right, Levin, we've reached that point in the show. Prediction time. 49ers, 2-0, going into Levi's, wearing the sweet, sweet red 94 throwback jerseys. What do you see happening in this one? This is a game I could see either team winning, but I do think the Niners have a pretty good advantage. I think they should be decently favored in this. And I really think the difference is going to be the defensive lines. You know, Wood talked about how the Packers have not had a pass rush at all this this year. The best pass rushers on IR. I see Jimmy Garoppolo getting quite a bit of time, and that means... Jimmy's going to have some openings. Kyle's going to be able to dial up a little bit more deeper passes. I could see Ayuk getting a little bit more involved here. 
And I think the, the Niners are going to be able to move the ball offensively because of that, that they're basically not going to have a fear of constantly being hounded in the passing game and having to get the ball out and having to run a bunch of screens like we saw last week against Philadelphia. Whereas the Packers offensive line is banged up and you saw in week one what happens when Rodgers gets pressured. The Saints got a lot of pressure on Rodgers, and he did not do well. You got him playing in a hostile environment. Like you said, Levi's is going to be loud. Nobody's been able to be at Levi's for a full year. And you're going to have Nick Bosa going there, and you're going to have you know D Ford and all the others too. I think the pressure that the Niners will get on occasion, those couple sacks, or, or a few sacks, I should say, will be the difference. It's going to be insane to the point where Kyle Shanahan talked about it yesterday. Jimmy Garoppolo was very effusive about how much the players are looking forward to going back with fans. You've got Bosa back in front of his fans. You know, we we didn't get to watch Nick Bosa in week three last year because he was already hurt. There are so many things going for the 49ers. If they could hit a big play early, especially if it like went to, to Ayuk, that would just be like, unbelievable right but if they can make a big play offensively or defensively early that place is going to leave the ground I think they're going to be so pumped up about it Uh, I do want to point out that one person on this show picked the Eagles last week I can't remember who that was I'm pretty sure it wasn't me though Um, I think the 49ers are going to win this game granted it's against Aaron Rodgers and so Green Bay clearly has a shot you can't be shocked if they win But I look, the 49ers have the advantage on the defensive line. I think the 49ers have the advantage on the offensive line. The only area of the game where the Packers are clearly better than the 49ers is at quarterback. Now, I know it's the most important part, but it's not the only part. And I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to play well enough to overcome the deficiencies at all the other spots. For what it's worth, the Niners are favored just by three in this game, which is surprising. Now, maybe that'll change by the time you hear this, but basically they're at home. And you usually get three points just for playing at home. So Vegas is essentially saying that this is a pick 'em game. Uh, I think the 49ers are better than the Packers. Uh, I think the 49ers are going to be able to put up probably close to 30 points, to be honest. I could see this being like a 30-24, 30-21 type of game, but I'll take the Niners. Vegas is basically saying what we said and, and Ryan Wood said about both of these teams. We don't know what they are yet. Both teams can, this is kind of the fork in the road game, uh, so to speak. You know, the Niners might have a bigger fork coming in the following week um, for obvious reasons, but this is kind of the fork in in the road. If the Packers win, they're a real contender like they have been every year in recent seasons. If they lose, this might be the year that the Packers don't even make the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers healthy. Whereas the Niners, if they win, they're 2019 again. If they lose... You don't know what the heck they are. And in the NFC West, at that point, you have to say they're not favored to make the playoffs. You are going to find out a lot about the 49ers in the next three weeks. Because not only do the obviously, you know, you play on Sunday night football against the Packers. That's clearly a big game. After that, you've got Seattle, then Arizona. The next three weeks, people are going to either feel really, really great about the 49ers, or I think people are going to say, well, I don't know. Look, when they played the actual competition, they kind of struggled. It's going to be fascinating to see, you know, like you were talking about, when that picture fully develops what we are kind of left with. Uh, When they play the Colts, by the way, I don't even know what the hell is going to be going on with the Colts. Carson Wentz has sprained every ankle he has. He has two ankle sprains right now. I can't get over it. But, uh, yeah, we're going to find out about the Niners in the next three weeks. If you offered me four and one right now, I'd take it all day. The Niners are four and one after week five going into, I think they have the bye week after that, correct? Uh, The bye week is week six for the Niners. Yeah. So the following week would be their bye week. If you told me the Niners are four and one going into the bye week, uh, I would take that. Those are three tough games. The Niners could be five and oh, but there's going to have to be some lucky bounces in there. Those are three good teams, three likely playoff contending teams, if not NFC championship game contending teams yeah i mean i look at it right now right so there's 17 games the 49ers have already won two i you would think 10 games is going to be good enough to get you to the playoffs so in 15 games the 49ers got to win eight of them yep that's very doable like look at their schedule right the colts game if chicago starts justin fields i don't know what to think about that 
but they still have a game against Jacksonville, against Minnesota, against Cincinnati, against Atlanta, against Houston. Like, to win eight games the rest of the way is not unreasonable by any stretch. I think they should be able to exceed that. But at the very worst, like, people are still saying, oh, I don't know what the 49ers are. Like, I'll say right now, they should easily be a playoff team in the NFC. We can just cite the past. In the past, a team that starts 2-0 and makes the playoffs. I think it was 61.7% of the time. I saw the stat right after. I think it was Sunday Night Football. might have been Monday Night Football. But they threw up that stat that teams that start 2-0 and make the playoffs. That percentage of the time. And then you got to factor in the Niners have won two road games already, meaning they have all their home games left, meaning yep. you, you give that percentage a little bit of a bump. You could say the Niners are you know, a 70% chance at this point of making the playoffs. And two road NFC games, which conference record is one of the tiebreakers. So it's nice to have that little feather in their cap also. All the 49ers' toughest games this season come at home. Green Bay, obviously the divisional games, you get both. But Green Bay, if you thought Minnesota was going to be a little bit of a tougher game, that's at home. You know, Tennessee, I guess, is on the road on Thursday night, so that's a little tough. But other than that, most of the tough games are all at home, which is another advantage for the Niners, so... Again, I think playoffs is very, very realistic, regardless of who is at quarterback. That's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. Again, please rate, review, subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I want to thank everybody. We keep breaking records, Niners Nation records, and that is because of you. You are listening, you are downloading, and we really do appreciate it. We have had the best May, the best June, the best July, the best August in the history of Niners Nation. In fact, last month was the second biggest month Niners Nation has ever had. The only time we trumped it was when the Niners were in the Super Bowl. So you are coming, and we appreciate it, and please keep doing it. Please tell your friends. I promise you it matters. If you leave a question in our review, I will force Levin to answer it on the show, no matter what it is. If you want to ask about his ridiculous mustache, you could do that. Whatever you want, I'll make you answer, Levin. You're coming after my mustache, Mr. Never Grows Any Facial Hair Whatsoever, because you know you can't? Uh, That's 100% accurate. Look, (laughs) I'm like Jimmy Garoppolo. He doesn't throw outside the hashes. I don't try to grow a mustache, all right? I'm not growing a Fu Manchu on you. You can't even grow the hashes. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) sad but true. All right, I guess that's where we're leaving it for today. Enjoy the week, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.